Nebraska? Yes, sir. Ready here in Kentucky? Oh, yeah. All right. Five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Badass Chromecast. Uh, I am Luke. I'm Josh. I'm John. And we're in the midst of season five. And right now, I think we're on episode eight, The Destiny Gorilla. Maybe this is one of those stories that might have another name or two. I'm not for sure. Uh, we I believe get, it does. We get, we get Dennis Dorgan, right? Well, who's Dennis Dorgan, fella? He just shows up out of nowhere. And <laughs> and he acts like somebody we know, but we've never met this guy. He's got like a pencil-thin mustache that's been like drawn on, right? <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, he looks a lot like Sailor Steve Costigan. He's got, he's got a bulldog that's like <laughs> Oh, I shaved. thought it was a dachshund. Oh, is it a dachshund? No. Oh, no, it's a bulldog. Oh, I was like, no, it couldn't be, dude. You, you, <laughs> it's a beagle. You, you, you were joshing me over there, John. <laughs> His name is Spike. S- Spike. <laughs> Spuds. <laughs> Spuds and Dennis. Okay. Uh, we're going get to get to the prime content here pretty quick, but first things first. John, what are you drinking? Uh, back on the Wild Turkey 101. Nice. Huzzah! Josh, yeah, how about you fellas? I, I have a few more cans of this uh, West 6th Amber Ale. I, uh, I'm i feeling a little bit under the weather this morning, or this morning, this afternoon. We're not... <laughs> <laughs> we don't habitually drink and record <laughs> our shows in the morning. Let's, let's just go with morning. <laughs> I uh, I am drinking some nice uh, Bigelow uh, English tea time tea tonight. I I couldn't I couldn't bust out the whiskey because I was popping some some meds earlier to get rid of a pretty killer headache and body ache. So I'm going with some caffeine instead of the alcohol tonight. It's what you need. But I'll be I'll be back with some bourbon next time around. Bourbon. Okay, let's do the one thing. One thing. Speeder. <laughs> Keep it moving. Hey, John. Yes. You got a one thing? I do have a one thing for our new morning talk show that we're creating here. <laughs> uh, my one thing is an older movie from 1950 called In a Lonely Place. It's directed by Nicholas Ray and it stars Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham or Graham. Graham. And it's it's a noir movie. It was part of my movie project that I've been doing this year. So I watched it a while back, but it's really stuck with me. And it's probably because I think I finally figured out why Humphrey Bogart is cool. After watching this movie, I'd always struggled with that. But watching it, I was like, this guy is an amazing actor. And he just does a lot with a part. He's uh, He plays a man named Dixon Steele, who's a <laughs> troubled screenwriter. And he's suspected of murdering a, a woman that he met at a bar. And during his like arrest, he meets another woman who falls in love with him. And like their whole relationship is fraught with tension about if he did kill this other woman or not, because he kind of flies off the handle and gets really angry all the time. And, uh, ultimately it's a noir. So you can figure it out. Like things don't go their way necessarily, (laughs) but in ways that you may not expect. So it's really good. It's an amazing film. You should check it out if you've never done it or if you've never checked out any noir, it would be a good one to start with. Sweet. So I guess I've always kind of thought that, Humphrey Bogart was cool just because, just because he just is. Oh yeah. Um, and the only Bogart movie I've ever seen is Casablanca. Okay. But I've never seen Casablanca. He is really cool in Casablanca. (laughs) How about you, Luke? Have you watched a lot of Bogart? I haven't, I haven't watched a whole lot. I've seen Casablanca and I mean, that's just like, it's, it's, it's a a meandering kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah, Casablanca is, is good stuff, right? It's yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to see, and talk with you more, John, about all of your your various noir movies that you've that you've watched, right? So what's the what's the rundown in total? Can you run through them real quick? Uh, noir month, I did Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. which is the the washed up actress one, The Killers, which is based on an Ernest Hemingway short story. Oh, cool! The Killing, uh, Key Largo, another Bo- a Bogart picture, Asphalt Jungle, and In a Lonely Place. Okay. That's classic, dude. Yeah, good yeah. stuff there. You're a classy son of a bitch. Thanks. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I wore a fedora during the screenings of all of them. Yeah, <laughs> smoke, smoked a cigarette. Yeah, just cl- close the blinds only slightly. 
yeah, just like the bars were still there, though. Like right. I was in in a prison uh-huh. of my own making. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Josh? Do you okay. have something? I do have something. So lately, I've been listening to podcasts from this. Um, I don't know if they're a podcasting network. I don't know how to refer to them, but it's this um, web page and series of podcasts called Story Wonk. Story Wonk, which is a word that I only just learned last year. A, a political wonk or a policy wonk is somebody who's really into policy, right? Wonk is oh. somebody who really is a studious um, learner of a, a certain subject. So that's a word I, I just added to my lexicon last year. Nice. Stor- Story Wonk is um, a group of podcasts that includes uh, a couple of really good shows that I'll recommend. And one of those is called There and Back Again. And it is an in-depth exploration, chapter by chapter, of The Hobbit. Uh, but the host, Alistair, is going to uh, delve into the Lord of the Rings books, as well as the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings films. So it's a big undertaking, and he just got started, like, just before Christmas or sometime last fall. Awesome. Yeah, so um, I started reading, rereading The Hobbit recently, uh, at, in response to listening to this, this podcast, uh, he records his episodes live, at least in terms of, uh, there and back again. And so he gets a lot of interaction from folks. So it's, it really is like a, a book club kind of feel. Another story wonk podcast I'll recommend, uh, especially to you, John is called, we can do this all day. And okay. And it is uh, the same guy, Alistair, and a co-host discussing the Marvel Comics movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, okay. starting starting with uh, Iron Man and working through all of the films as well as the TV shows, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Agent Carter, etc. Um, and I think they're going to delve into the Daredevil and, and the other Netflix shows as well. Um, okay. So this is going to be another huge kind of uh, undertaking that these podcasters are, are undertaking here. Um, but, uh, the discussions thus far are really insightful. They really do a great job of dissecting the story and the themes and the plot and weaving, especially in terms of the Marvel comics thing, the, the comics history into it. And it's, it's really a, a good show. Uh, I can't recommend those two shows enough. Uh, so if you're lo- looking for, a uh, podcast that really does a deep dive into the nuts and bolts of story, then head on over to storywonk.com. We'll post a link in the one thing section of the show notes. Sounds uh, awesome. Yeah. That's I'm that, that's, sometimes envious of <laughs> the way that they can delve into these stories. Uh, so, so my one thing I, I thought about it earlier today and I guess the, uh, over the past week, there's been a bunch of television shows that I've been looking forward to started to come back out, uh, new seasons of, of like better call Saul and Fargo, uh, and Veep just started up and those are all really good things. And I may have talked about them previously, but my one thing, I don't know if I've talked about this to this point is the show, the leftovers, mm-hmm. uh, the season, the third season is is coming out now and so at this point as of recording the second episode is is dropped and it is just bonkers 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 man it's really good it's uh it's got a lot of heart there's a lot of soul to the story there's a lot of like funniness to it uh and i would just recommend that if you haven't watched any of the leftovers go ahead and just try to jump on and, and see if you can, the, the first season's really depressing and it stays depressing throughout, but it's also really beautiful and has moments of sort of, of happiness too, that sort of come through. So I don't know. I really like the leftovers. I need to check out the leftovers. It, uh, now is that an HBO show? It is. Yes. Okay. So the previous seasons are probably on HBO now or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's something we should dive into. Have you watched it yet, John? Luke's talked about it before. There are a couple of series that are getting started here soon, too, uh, that I'm interested in. The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu Mm -hmm. is one. Um, And I think think Stars is doing an adaptation of the Neil Gaiman book, American Gods, Mm -hmm. which looks pretty neat. Preacher's coming back on soon. I never did watch Preacher. Is it good? Would you recommend it? 
I enjoyed it. Luke? I actually have about a half dozen episodes towards the end that I haven't watched yet. And I'm going to have to go back and, and pull them up through some viewer because I had them DVR'd and I ended up deleting them just because they sat there for so long. But I knew I would get back before the new season starts up. Mm-hmm. So, Have you read the comics before? I have. I love it a lot. Yeah. Josh? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I've read them. Uh, I, I think I don't like it quite as much as Luke does. Um, but I... I think that the story is phenomenal and the characters are really good too. And there are, there are points in time when your heart just breaks for, um, Custer, mm-hmm. Jesse, Jesse, Jesse Custer. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart just breaks for him. Especially there's, there's one, uh, story in particular where Tulip is watching some things go down and she's helpless to do anything about it. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, there are some wonderful, uh, bittersweet to sad and heartbreaking character moments in that book that uh, I think are hard to surpass uh, in any other comic. Yeah, I think it really nails, you know, in a in a cool sort of superna- supernatural sort of context because you can get this like in in just straight drama type comics, but it really makes it real when people love each other but they can't help but be really shitty to each other and you have these relationships between father and son and brothers and lovers and and it's just it's, yeah, yeah yeah like like yeah yeah so it's just it's it's very real <laughs> also dude the saint of killers probably the coolest indie comic book character of all time just in terms of sheer just coolness. You're going to get the walking dead fans on you for that one. You know what? Why is that? Because of who? Oh, I just assumed they would say like Rick Grimes is the coolest <laughs> character. of all. Fart noise. They say, <laughs> if, well, you can like whatever you like and that's fine. Uh, the walking dead is not for me. And that's a shame. I think because it was created by two Kentucky boys. So there you go. I'm glad it's out there. It's good stuff, but it's not Preacher. <laughs> it's not nearly as good as Preacher. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we're talking in terms of the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So enough of that jibber jabber. <laughs> Let's, I'm pulling Those it back. Those were many up. things. Those, Those were many things. How lots, many things? Lots of things. One thing. All right. So now we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, the brass tacks, the real deal, the thing that brought us here today, which is the Destiny Gorilla. The, de- the density gorilla? The density, this really dense-ass gorilla. <laughs> can somebody tell me about the publication history of this story? I can try. I, I believe that this story was not actually published during Robert E. Howard's lifetime. Um, I think that my understanding is he wrote a stack of, I mean, at the end of the day, he had 40-some boxing stories. Many of those were Sailor Steve Costigan stories, but he also started some other characters like um, uh, Kid Allison, right, is another boxing character. Um, these Dennis Dorgan stories find their genesis in Howard sort of accumulating the stack of, of Steve Costigan stories that had been rejected or maybe that he hadn't gotten around to submitting right, or some combination thereof. And... Um, I believe that Farnsworth Wright began this publication uh, called Magic Carpet, which was sort of more of a, an adventure tales kind of uh, publication was, was its uh, its purpose. Right. And uh, Howard submitted several of these Dennis Dorgan stories to um, Magic Carpet, but only one of them was published. And it wasn't the Destiny of Gorilla. I can't think of the name of the story that was actually published, but there was only one Dennis Dorgan story that was published during Howard's lifetime. The rest of them sort of went into the trunk, I suppose. Um, fast forward to the 1970s and uh, sort of a, a resurgence, or I don't want to call it a resurgence, but maybe a small sort of renewed interest in Howard's boxing stories came about. And someone put together the idea of putting all of the Dennis Dorgan stories into a volume. And so, uh, John, I believe you have 
a compilation of the Dennis Dorgan stories and the Men of Iron there in your hands, right? I do, yes. The and Iron so, Man with the Adventures of Dennis Dorgan. And so that volume came out in the 80s. The Adventures of Dennis Dorgan came out in the 1970s. So I believe that this story first saw light of day sometime during the 1970s. That is correct. The, the published Dennis Dorgan story was called Alleys of Darkness, which was printed in Magic Carpet right before it folded. Right. And that was the only time that they actually used the Dennis Dorgan name in print. Also, during that time, Howard was publishing as Patrick Irvin so that he could double dip in Magic Carpet. The reason that Farnsworth Wright asked him to do that was because he already had another story in there. You had an unspoken rule of you're not supposed to have the uh, the same author featured twice. So let's lie a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. Uh, I think Finn, Mark Finn, frequent guest, friend of the podcast, all around good fellow. He has a chapter in his book, Blood and Thunder, called The Fighting Costigans. And it's all about the evolution of Sailor Steve and Dennis Dorgan and all these all these wacky folks and sailor Steve appeared in other stories before he was sailor Steve Costigan. We had a serious story called the right hook with sailor Steve hammer or Harmer. He was sort of a glass jaw boxer who has like a, a serious boxing match where he tries to save his brother-in-law from losing a bunch of money to the mob. There's a funny story called the weeping willow that stars monk Costigan who's a promoter slash trainer who trains a boxer that they call the weeping willow because he's kind of reedy, but he's an iron man. And whenever he comes out and gets punched, he starts crying every time (laughs) and it unnerves other boxers. So he's like Rocky. If Rocky cried all the time and that's the reason he won. (laughs) That's cool. He gets really emotional. uh, We had Slade Costigan, who's a brawler, Irish boxer. He's like six foot tall. And he appears in a story called Crowd Horror in Argosy in 1929. And then not long after that, Fight Stories picks up Pit of the Serpent starring our own Sailor Steve Costigan. So he has this going for a while with Fight Stories. Another magazine called Sports Stories contacted Howard in 1931. And they were like, hey, maybe uh, give us Sailor Steve. Like maybe we'll publish all those for you. And he said, no, but I'll get you another boxer. And he wrote three Kid Allison stories for them that Finn talks about not having sort of the same punch that Sailor Steve does. Good pun. (laughs) And then in 32 fight stories and sports stories, both folded, we get Costigan turned into Dorgan for Magic Carpet. He puts the name on a bunch of other stories so that he can try and sell these Dorgan stories elsewhere. But... Our other friend of the show for this season, Chris Gruber, argues in the beginning of his boxing book, Boxing Stories, that Howard didn't really consider Dorgan a a true character, that he wasn't separate from Sailor Steve. He's just this flimsy disguise. Mm -hmm. And it was a mistake when this company that you mentioned, Fax, put out The Incredible Adventures of Dennis Dorgan in the 70s. They, quote, unwittingly used the bastardized Dorgan versions Howard had left behind rather than publishing them as Costigans as Howard had originally intended. And so ever since the release of that publication, readers have assumed that Dorgan is a separate character and that Howard had actually rewritten parts of Costigan stories in order to make distinctly separate Dorgan tales, end quote. But he argues that's not the case and that they are re-Costiganing all of the Dorgan tales to make these sort of story collections like boxing stories and the uh, the fists of iron that they published through the RH Press Foundation. So, are some of the Dorgan stories in that volume of boxing stories that was put together by Chris Gruber that you have in your hand there? Yes. So they have two Dorgan stories here that are restored to their original Costigan roots. He says, "Okay, cultured cauliflowers and a new game for Costigan." I wonder, wanted to say cauliflowers instead of cauliflowers. Cauliflowers. I'm glad you did. That's how that's how Sailor Steve would say it. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I have in uh, the Kindle uh, version of uh, this Robert E. Howard essay collection, The Dark Barbarian That Towers Over All, uh, 
our friend Mark has a, an essay in here called Fists of Robert E. Howard, where he sort of summarizes all of the points that you just made. So uh, all of this stuff is out there. Um, and I think Mark and Chris have been really been spearheading this uh, uh, effort in researching these boxing tales. Because they've largely Which, been overlooked by academics, right? True. This is, it led me to a question I wanted to ask the two of you before we got into the story. So I think this is a good point to ask it. Is this something that makes uh, pulp fiction and weird fiction appealing to you? Like this lost weirdness, this, these missing links and these things that we have to research later on to figure out what maybe the authors were talking about? Is it something that adds to the whole mystique of Howard and Lovecraft and others to you? Yeah, I think so. For me, I, I think it's entertaining to hear the publication history and to hear that, say, Howard was writing under a pseudonym on top of his, his you know, regular, you know, author name just to get his work out there quicker and to get paid. That's really interesting to me. You know, this is uh, kind of a cool like wild west time right for these pulps and it's not unlike the the comics industry uh and the the stories we could talk about there and we've we've talked about that at length previously but i i think that this is it's really it's really pretty cool to hear about the interactions between these dudes and dudettes uh in the case of like cl moore with with jarell jewelry and the you know the heroic women of howard that we talked about uh that's pretty it's pretty interesting it's intriguing and it's another layer i don't think you have to have that though to get a kick out of this story i think this is a pretty well written story and it it's it's you know it's cream within the the butter that we're churning it's sort of floating up there for me like this this one to me was pretty humorous i i like that we are investigating the foundations of several of these genres right like i've been a fan of sword and sorcery ever since six-year-old me saw he-man when i was a kid right uh i've i've loved um uh action stories for as long as i can remember uh i've loved rocky for as long as i can remember uh and so i guess just seeing the ground level foundations of these genres and the the creativity that went into putting these stories together and the care uh, is, is really something interesting to me as well as the personal history of the, the authors, you know, what made them want to write about dudes punching each other in the face or, <laughs> uh, or whatnot. So, yeah, I, I think that sort of finding out more information, uh, and contextualizing these stories is, is really cool. It's, it's, um, uh, one of my favorite aspects of doing the show, you know, so Josh, you wrote the, the blog post, uh, that, that people can go check out, uh, a few, a few weeks ago back at this point, uh, getting into, to this type of topic, I guess for me, it, like these stories are cool and interesting. Even if you weren't reading, you know, Dennis Dorgan and sailor, Steve Costigan stories, if you were a fan of Howard, the creator hearing about, those characters and how they got on the page within the pulps. I think it, I think it stands up, uh, but it's not necessarily like, how do you word it within your blog post? Uh, the bones in the soup. Yeah. Like, like uh, on some level it works that way. And on, in another way, it's kind of just a fun little side story in and of itself too. Mm -hmm. How about you, John? Uh, yeah. Uh, I like how Shanks always puts it. Uh, doesn't he talk about pop culture archaeology? Yeah. Like digging through some of this backstory stuff that, like you said, Luke, isn't needed to enjoy a story where Dennis Dorgan knocks some guys through a wall and everything. But when you get into it, you're like, wow, this is a weird Wild West time where like, you're just trying to make money. And I think it appeals to me because we don't have it as much anymore. Like the market is very different now. Right. Uh, so you, everybody has their name and face associated with their product. Like I can't imagine a future where people are, are digging through tweets to figure out who authored what right. in 2017, right. I guess. Uh, but maybe that's what will happen. Maybe they'll have some interesting weird stuff too. Maybe. Uh, since you brought up Jeff, I, I think back to that episode that he joined us for uh, when we discussed moon of skulls 
and we talk about Howard sort of hopping the border and going to uh, brothels and not really telling anybody about it and, and doing that kind of thing and how that was reflected in how he wrote the, the sultry uh, woman in Moon of Skulls and how, uh, you know, Solomon Cain was kind of obstinately against having anything to do with her, but right. was, was sort of coming around to the thought of it and how that <laughs> sort of maybe played out in Howard's own life. And, and, uh, that made that story, it, it gave it this life beyond the words on, on the page to me. So I agree with you. These stories hold up just fine without knowing any of that. But I think that there is an inner light to them that sort of gets turned on when you find out how uh, real life maybe informed the the construction of the stories. Right. Yeah, that's. That's really well put, dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I I dig that. I I think so. Like as we're talking about this, uh, it makes me think about like our own like our own profession. So like we're scientists, and so I know we all took this this one specific course called insect plant relationships that mm-hmm. was really like an eye opener course that uh that, like I had never taken a course that like looked at the sort of human side of the, the the seminal sort of people within a discipline until I took that class. And since then, like that was an interesting fact. Like who knew all of the the crazy stories that you could see within like entomologists, mm-hmm. you know, and and what happened throughout the sixties and the seventies and the eighties to today, right? Uh so that's kind of cool. And it's something that within my profession I like to hear like the 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 John, the stories about like the people that are larger than life, right, within your your profession. And so like with us being tuned into this specific hobby, I mean it just sort of adds to it, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh those of you listening, let us know what you think. Do you uh how would you respond to John's question? I think we kind of extended beyond John's question initially, but uh uh, you know, you were asking about lear- does, does is there something about learning more about these old pulps that makes this fun? That makes this hobby fun. Okay. Yeah, but no, you both answered it beautifully. Oh, okay. just like the beautiful souls that you are. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening and uh, you have thoughts on this, let us know. We'd we'd love to hear what you have to say. All right. Well, well let's get into the fate of simians or whatever we call it. <laughs> the yeah. den- density. Gorilla. <laughs> so we get introduced to to Dennis uh, Dorgan. He's uh, he's got a fight coming up with one round Egan, right, or Egan maybe. Uh, and I like I like the opening scene here. This is different than than other stories we've we've read so far with this whole boxing angle, right? Yeah, this one opens up with the fight rather than building up to the fight. And it's, I like that it's a dive. I like that we get more than just you know boxers be boxing. We get like gamblers trying to pull a fast one and the gamblers be gambling <laughs> gamblers be gambling and and mob bosses be mobbing i guess flopping the first round and your name is mud double d <laughs> so yeah dennis dorgan gets this note with a, a knife through it what that says he's got to throw his fight or or he's done like you'll never box again and you find out later that these are some mobsters that if you don't do what they say they'll paralyze you essentially like they beat you up for not helping them with money. Uh, he says it's a group composed of some fine upstanding sounding citizens named Waspy Shaw, <laughs> Bully Clisson, Ned Brock, and Tony Spaghetti. Cheap gamblers, all of them. <laughs> Tony Spaghetti. That's what I kept thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, I did have some a priori thoughts about Waspy Shaw and Tony Spaghetti, oh, I'm afraid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a better way to send a clear message other than leaving a note with a knife through it. Like that is the ultimate punctuation mark for your passive aggressive note. And I like that the, the fight that, that unfolds right after that, there's little fanfare. Like Egan just still beats the, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Dorgan just beats the crap out of Egan. Like there's, it doesn't even go beyond a paragraph description. Yeah, no, he, (laughs) this is, this is some, some straight up brutal fight riding from Howard. Uh, so at the tap of the gong, he says, I was watching Shaw, a hatchet faced, cold eyed, flashy dressed mug instead of Egan. Waspy, ha- uh, Waspy half rose from his seat as the gong sounded and give me a meaning nod. 
This so infuriated me that I forgot all about my intention of letting Egan stay a few rounds to give the crowd their money's worth. With the whang of the gong still echoing, I rushed across the ring, ignored Egan's straight left, which cut my lip, and buckled his knees with a murderous left hook under the liver. I instantly brought the same hand up to his jaw, and his head went back between his shoulders like his neck was broke. I then sank my right under his heart, and the massacre was over. <laughs> this is less technical. The writing here struck me as as a bit more uh, like rambunctious and and a little bit over the top. Like whenever I read this, I thought, "Oh, this seems this seems to be a, a fun sort of this is street brawls, right? Like that's what we're getting here. This is not going to be uh, surgical precision playing out. This is Dorgan's whipping some with some whipping some hind in." <laughs> some booty some butt <laughs> he's he's whipping butts uh yeah this one strikes me as as uh there's an element of i mean having the organized crime element here kind of adds this this edge to it and i guess i don't know it feels more adventurous because of the barroom brawl the you know the scenes that we've all watched in movies like people get being thrown through walls and and into women's dressing rooms and yeah that kind of thing uh so it, it has some elements uh that the other uh dorgan stories don't necessarily have i think <laughs> i wonder if that is an element of this being sort of written for a different um a different publication true yeah i don't know I like what happens next, though. We The boxing match ends, and Dorgan says, My handlers made some gestures at rubbing me down, and then hasted me back to the ringside to see the wrestling match, which was coming on next. Not caring for no such amusement, I donned my street clothes and left the building by a side door, attended by Spike, my man-eating bulldog. Spike is Mike in this instance. Right. As I stepped into the shadowy street, a figure loomed up in front of me, gnashing its teeth. I recognized Waspy Shaw. And made it ready for to cloud him. But he seemed to be alone. You needn't cock your fist, he said. I ain't starting a fight in the street. I'm going to get you my own way, you double-crossing. Arrest! I never double-crossed you, you low-down dirty. It's just, it's funny to, to read their interplay here. <laughs> Remember, Waspy Shaw never forgets. I underline that that sentence. I think that's just a funny play on words. <laughs> he never forgets. You remember. I never forget. <laughs> you remember that. <laughs> but the dramatic effect of this is ruined by what, Luke? Uh, so uh, at this point, he's kind of like running away, but uh, Dorgan's like putting a boot in his ass, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kicks him and knocks him on, on, his, yeah. on all fours <laughs> and then wanders away. And he just saunters into the, the Yellow Kitten Cabaret. We'll yeah. leave that there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's right next to the free and easy. <laughs> Dorgan's quarter wing night. <laughs> Dollar well drinks. Uh, he got himself a drink, uh, and he starts getting sort of elbowed and bumped around by a, a big dude with an ugly mug. Uh, scarred and bellicose. As tough a mug as i ever seen, he says. And Dorgan knows what's happening here. He's getting jostled. There's some fellows that are after him that are going to fill out uh, the the order that Waspy Shaw has put out to to take care of Dennis Dorgan. So I think there's three of them. Am I correct? Well, big there's, boy here is uh, is the gorilla, right? Yeah, he's and he's bumping into Dorgan at this yeah, point. He's pushing it. And so Costigan stand, uh, turns around and says, "Listen, ain't there enough room at this bar for both of us?" Who wants to know? <laughs> you know who wants to know. The rat that hired you told you. And Without then warning, I handed him a terrible clout on the jaw, knocked him out. Then another guy swings a bottle at at, at not Sailor Steve, at <laughs> Baylor Dennis. And <laughs> Daylor Dennis. Uh, then another one has a pair of brass knuckles that gets him in the head. I like how quick and quippy this this story plays. Like at this point, we're on like the third or fourth page, and we've already had two fights. We've already had uh, some gamblers trying to Shanghai the the protagonist. He's going to a couple a couple places, like you know, with colorful names. You get a sense of setting, and the story's just sort of ripping along. And I think that's to the writing, like that's to the credit of Howard's writing here. But Steve or <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> Who? Dennis takes care of a couple of these guys, and then another, the other one, the gorilla fella, he gets up and starts fighting with him, loses all track of his senses, 
says, I was so blind, mad, I gave no heed. I was on top of my enemy amongst the dust and the splinters because he pushes him and runs him through a wall. So he he pulls out the other side and is just like beating the crap out of this guy before he realizes that he is in a, a perfumed room. He quaffs the air. It smells quite nice, and he realizes he's in one of the dancers' rooms. Yeah, I mean, there's there's individual rooms. Uh, this is uh, our our uh, our main uh, woman within the story that we get here, but you get a sense of this being a a less than upstanding location, right? There's there's dancing that's going on. You might be able to to go into various rooms, but the rooms are all paper thin, right? You get a sense that it's just pretty much a shack that's up uh, against a uh, a row of other shacks and they're all these 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 cheap bars and flop houses and the lady's there in her uh, dancing costume it says her eyes biggest saucers and uh dorgan says i beg your pardon miss it ain't my habit to burst in on frails this way i'll take my leave and lug this hunk of shark bait with me <laughs> i my favorite part of the whole story might be this one sentence i riz and tried to take off my cap only to find I didn't have none on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It cracked me up. Uh, she points out that's Gorilla Baker and you just licked him. Indeed, I said politely. I reckon you don't know who I am, miss, or you wouldn't act so surprised about me laying this thug out. So he gets him and he's going to drag him out before Teddy or the, the dancer starts to, to stop him because there's a big fracas with a, the german owner of the yellow kitten as well yeah so so max comes out and he's like what's all this he what, doesn't say it like that what is this that, you know, that. <laughs> i'm ruined <laughs> uh himmel <laughs> i got what's a hole in my wall <laughs> uh anyway costigan runs him off right like he he's like get out of here before i forget i'm a gent <laughs> And the girl asks him to sit down, and and uh, she's she's like, you know, you're a you're a big hunk of man, <laughs> right? Yeah, I could go for you in a big way. She says, <laughs> <laughs> uh, her name's Teddy Blaine, and uh, this whole encounter, like there are dif- there are these uh, <laughs> descriptions of how Dorgan is posturing and how he's, you know. Uh, he, he refers to his huge shoulders and he flexes his muscles for no reason, <laughs> right? Uh, and Spike Mike gets a good bit, too. You must be Sailor Dorgan, she said, and this is Spike, your famous fighting dog. Well, I explain. I don't fight him in the pits, but there ain't a dog in the Orient that can stand up to him in four rounds. Shake hands with the lady, Spike. He done so, but rather coldly. The softer passions mean very little to Spike. Sometimes it seems like he ain't got no sentiment at all. <laughs> so this is that's actually lines that come up in Waterfront Fist, right? Like that's within the like that's the lines that Finn has has uh, come up with a couple different times in our conversations. Like he's mentioned that specific phrase is something that really cracked him up, and I feel like it is is dropped within that Violet City radio players like uh, Waterfront Fist yeah. episode. Really? Yeah. Um, it is. Okay. Uh, I know that we've heard him say that because he's mentioned time and time again that this is his favorite Howard story. And uh, I think that he read that part at the Ice House last summer, yes. didn't he, John? I, I am almost positive. I kept hearing his voice as I read this story. So it was somewhere that I heard those words. Yeah. Uh, Steve Costigan and Dennis Dorgan, in my mind, have Mark Finn's voice. <laughs> So I like that Teddy uh, a couple a couple of lines before like she's just soaking up the the bumpkinisms that that we got Dorgan throwing down here right like he offers to you know take her out you ain't so bad yourself let's go put on a feed bag for a starter like that's a that's a great little line like he does he does a lot of great uh, character building in such a short uh, matter of pages here like you really get a sense of of who this dude is uh, I also like the the previously whenever Dorgan's sort of bragging about how he keeps his knuckles rock hard and smooth, he says that he soaks them in regular salt brine and whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think of like uh, Game of Thrones, like Song of Ice and Fire. They always talk about like wrapping your hands in like boiled wine. <laughs> like, right. It was like, it's the, it's the same thing. doesn't matter if you're in Westeros or, you know, 
over on, you know, the, the Asian like continent. <laughs> we, as the omniscient reader, are aware that our unreliable narrator, Dennis Dorgan, is, is getting had here by this lady. He wants to take her out on a date, and he says something about uh, – there's no doubt about it. True love at first sight is a fact. I've experienced it maybe 50 times during my life. <laughs> I trembled with emotion and wish I could knock somebody's head off for her. And she provides him that opportunity. She cannot go out on a date with Dennis because there's another man who has eyes for her despite the fact that she's tried to turn him down. He is a watchdog that won't let any man near Teddy. And if Sailor Dennis wishes to have her hand on a date, he will have to deal with Big Bill Elkins. Yeah, so he's a he tends bar over at the Yorkshire Tavern, right? Like, and uh, she's she's persecuted. She really <laughs> needs to be loosened from the the clutches of this fellow, and then she'll run away just right as rain. It's going to happen. I love. She really lathers him up with this. Like she, yes, she just like feeds this. He, who is it? Tell me who it is. And I'll kill him <laughs> limb from limb. I actually she just like tidbits 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 oh it's oh big bill elkins that's who it is i actually did laugh out loud at the line who darn it (laughs) (laughs) bill elkins and elkins is another one of those names that howard used for other characters right i think there's a a a character uh that he did several stories featuring whose last name is elkins Breckenridge elkins yeah the funny westerns funny westerns so uh, Dennis says, Bill Elkins, huh? He begins to ruminate. And she says, I knew you'd be afraid of him. Everybody is. And this woman knows how to get a guy to do whatever she wants. I yeah. jumped up like she'd stabbed me. Who's afraid of Bill Elkins? I squalled outrageously. I never said no such thing. I was just repeating his name. <laughs> and she says, you know, he he watches this place all the time. He won't let anyone come near me. Maybe if you <laughs> straighten him out. You and I could be together, you know. It doesn't matter. There ain't enough people in the world named Elkins to lick me. Come on, get your hat. You're going out with me. So he's on his way. He's going to go beat up Bill Elkins. And I loved the part where he is ruminating over the the, the sudden turn of fortune that he's had. <laughs> and uh, he says, to think that a bug like Gorilla Baker was the cause of me meeting my true love. When I meet him again, I shakes his hand and gives him a 10 spot. It's fate, no less. It's destiny, which works not only with violets and moonlight, but with gorillas as well. Gorilla Baker was the tool of destiny. <laughs> it was at this point that I had the sobering realization that Dennis Dorgan would not be actually fighting a gorilla in this story. Yeah. Well, I thought it was actually teased. Uh, I didn't know what we were going to get. Like once the actual, once the fight throws down, like comes about, I wondered if there were if there was going to be a slip where that would actually be playing out, uh, but I don't know if I mean there's hints right of 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 an of an apish sort of appearance for for Elkins like the, the mm-hmm. glint of his teeth and the big hulking body. So I I didn't know if it was going to be a uh, a surprise kind of a weird tell that mm-hmm. we were going to get here. <laughs> I, I like the oh I'm sorry no I was just going to say yeah I did think that that Dorgan. Slash Costigan was going to get roped into, you know, fighting somebody blindfolded and it was going to turn out to be a gorilla. Right. That's uh, I like that this story that there's talking that there's some good John between our protagonist and the antagonist that we get like character characterization of everybody beyond just, uh, you know, broad strokes and, and archetypes like with our introduction of Elkins, like the back and forth between uh dorgan and elkins you get you get a lot of information and you get like a setup for where they're gonna fight you get uh the measure of the man like is 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 pretty described is pretty well described here and you get a sense that that dorgan you know has a has a bit of admiration for this fellow and so they figure out where to fight uh elkins says don't bring your dog leave it somewhere else Dorgan says, okay, I'll leave him at the American bar. I know the bartender there. It'll be fine. We'll go out there and we'll, we'll have us a bare knuckle boxing match with nobody around <laughs> by the moonlight, by the moonlight, like two gentlemen would. Right. And two gorillas. <laughs> this is how I settle all of my affairs amongst the entomology world. This is actually how we met John. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I didn't remember that. It was a night just like tonight. Or mor- <laughs> a morning just like this morning. <laughs> <laughs> and now Luke with the traffic report. <laughs> <laughs> Elkins and Dorgan, they start swinging, and they both have a similar style. We get a sense that, that Elkins has has a prize fighter history, but he's an Iron Man like like Dorgan is too. And they they basically go to town on each other. They're just wailing the piss out of each other to the point where uh, Elkins is like, "Wait a minute, I got to get a breather." And so Dorgan actually allows for it. And I think that's that's kind of a cool uh, like again, bit of dialogue between these two, because these guys wouldn't be talking if they were just wailing on each other, right? You need that buildup. And I think the imagery here is the most similar to a Conan story that we've seen so far out of these boxing uh, tales, especially this this section um, at the bottom of page 187 uh, from our copy of the story, where uh, Howard says you know, from Dorgan's perspective, my head was singing and the black trees were reeling like a merry-go-round. Like in a nightmare, I seen big Bill Elkins before me, sweat glistening in his hair on his mighty chest, his face ghastly in the moonlight. One of his brows was split. So the lid hung down over his eye, blood streamed from his nose and the corners of his mouth. And his left ear was mangled. His left side was raw beef where I'd pounded under his heart. Like this is some pretty visceral imagery, you know. Uh, and I know the pit of the serpent was a pretty brutal tale, but I I guess because this is out in the woods, near dark in the in the twilight, there's something about this that made me think. You know, this is pretty barbaric. Well, even the setup. We're on a mysterious place, maybe an island, sort of. There's a bar. There's a lusty winch. There are thieves and, and cutthroats and cut purses all around trying to get at our protagonist who just throws down with people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely <laughs> barbaric. Elkin, as Elkin. the fight is going and they take this time out, uh, Dennis takes a moment to try and explain to Elkins that, you know, this is no way to conduct yourself if you wish to win the affections of a woman. He says, you can't win a girl by these here caveman tactics. And then, ugh! The lax exclamation was involuntary unexpected as the stroke of a cobra in the dark. A naked arm encircled my head and jerked it backwards. Simultaneously, a keen edge was pressed against my throat. I didn't have time to do nothing. I sat there with that steel biting into my flesh, so a trickle of blood stole down my neck. It's I know weird. if I moved, my jugular and windpipe would be severed before I could get my hands up. So we're not fighting fair anymore. That's uh, Right here we have uh, Waspy's assassin what's his name ahmed the malay killer so so we're getting uh at this point kind of a, a mexican standoff that's about to be playing out here right like you're gonna have uh dorgan squaring off against a couple different sets of guys but there's, there's a lot of folks that are entering the ring right now yeah well we just had five people show up and they don't like dorgan at all <laughs> In well, fact, Dorgan, you ain't so smart. <laughs> We've been telling you ever since you came out of the yellow kitten. Yeah, yeah she. Yeah, she. Now it's nice of you to come out here all the way where there's nobody that can be interrupting us. Elkins is very confused. He says, what kind of business is this? Because clearly he and Dorgan were having a very gentlemanly beat up match <laughs> with yeah. each other before this, before they were disturbed by knife wielding assassins. And they have to sort of explain to him, like, this is none of your business. Like, we're just going to take care of this guy. You go about your business, Elkins. Just go back to town. Elkins is cut from the same cloth as Dorgan. Yeah. Right? And he's he seems to be genuinely concerned that they are going to gang up and beat up or kill Dorgan at this point. Right? And he even yeah. says, you ain't meaning to slug him while he's helpless. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit naive. Elkins to the rescue, right? That's right. He he comes in and he smashes him up a little bit and lets Dennis get free of the grip so that he can fight back as well. Waspy Shaw even pulls a gun and it doesn't quite work for him. Yeah. So these two brawlers, these two fighters, uh, pugilists, I guess, are able to take down five people uh, armed with various weapons, including a pistol. Uh, and they don't really get any sort of wounds. I mean, I, I guess they get hit by a blackjack and, um, you know, Dorgan has a, a small cut on his neck, but otherwise they're, they, they make it out of this pretty well. The pugilist. In fact, pound they use, uh, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. That is it. That's all my alliteration. That's as far as it would go. Pugilist pounding. (laughs) They use these bad guys as weapons against themselves. Elkins picks up two of them and keeps banging their heads together, chanting, (laughs) she loves me. She loves me not. (laughs) Uh, And then Elkins is ready to keep on fighting with, uh, with Dorgan at this point, right? Nuts to that. I don't want to fight a man who just saved my life. Yeah, they have a they have a bit of a truce here, and they they kind of shake on it ultimately, right? Well, only because Elkin's leg is broken. It turns out he's he's laying down, banging these two guys' <laughs> heads together, uh, and then he tries to stand up to to fight, and he can't. Yep, he's got a blank, a- blank legs broke. How in the triple dash blank can I fight you with dashity dash leg busted? And then Dorgan, I think, says something to the effect of, look, I'll wait until you're healed up. Right. I won't go out with her until you're ready. And then we'll fight. And then we'll just, it'll all be decided. So Dennis walks Elkins back to town so that he can get to a doctor. And they get back to the Yorkshire Tavern where the barkeep, the other, or the bar owner, says, you fellers have been fighting. What's happened to your leg, Bill? I've been been kicked kicked by by a canary bird. bird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shut up and get me some liniment. I didn't have no idea Canary Bird could kick that hard. But wait a minute. <laughs> he reaches into his pocket and pulls out a note. This is for you. It was sent over here from the yellow kitten. Teddy, she scammed them both. Yep. We've seen this trip play out. Uh, she fell in love with a saxophone player at another at another uh, another house down the road right uh and she said this is this is my this is my setup right i've been nuts about him the whole time jimmy richards the boy who went plays the saxophone down at the all night inn uh and so she basically wishes uh elkins breaks a leg out on the out on the <laughs> dance floor out, out on the stage and sure enough that's what happened i can't tell you how many times this has happened to me yeah you've <laughs> fought a guy only to receive a note that says uh, you can't be fighting for my hand. You've been cuckolded by a uh, like a by a uh, hip musician like down the it's street. It's always Kenny a saxophone G. player. <laughs> Kenny G. Always a saxophone. Uh, Married a saxophone player. Oh, and then they both. She scorned my love. She's handed me the gaff. I'm a root man, scorned and deserted. Oh, death, where is thy stingery? <laughs> uh, I I loved Dorgan's last line here too. Um, this is all Gorilla Baker's fault. Earlier, he was the Destiny Gorilla, right? But this is all Gorilla Baker's fault. If it hadn't been for him, I'd never gotten into this mess. He can't make a monkey out of me this way. When I get through with him, I bet he'll be careful whose wall he th- falls through next time I sock him. That's right. That's all, folks. So what'd you guys think of the Destiny Gorilla? Fire emoji, fire emoji, 100. (laughs) (laughs) Clap emoji, clap emoji. (laughs) Luke? I thought it was, I thought it was good. It was a lot of fun. I'm, uh, I like the, the, the underbelly, the, the sort of, you know, the mischief and the illegal activities that we get to see. I think it was really good character development throughout the story. I think here in the final couple paragraphs, we get some weaker, characterizations like like the fact that it's that it really is like uh like a musician that like cuckolds both the the fighting dudes i would like to have seen uh jimmy richards perhaps introduced previously and to see him be snaky rather than just dropped in here at the here at the last bit uh but that's just that's just minor quibbles i mean this is this is really a, a fun quick and easy story. I like how breezy this reads and because of the, the pace at which I was able to sort of roll through it. This is, I think one of my favorite stories that we've talked about this season. Same Josh. Yeah. Same here. (laughs) I, I really enjoyed this story. I was looking forward to it a lot just from the buildup that, uh, Mark gave it. Uh, and I, I think that it's between this and the pit of the serpent in terms of my favorite story that we've covered so far this season. Okay. Um, I wish that this, you know, in my mind, I kept envisioning Costigan instead of Dorgan because, you know, they are the same character just with a different name. 
And I guess I wish that it actually said Costigan instead of Dorgan. But I guess I'm glad also that, you know, we have the text as I guess Howard intended it. Yeah, that's true. So old Dennis Dorgan, old Dennis Dorgan equals Costigan. I I thought that was also quite funny that it's barely even an attempt at hiding who this is like. Dorgan, Costigan, Spike, Mike. Yeah. Um, and from what I understand, the other Dorgan stories, uh, you know, Mushy Hansen and the other members of the crew of the Sea Girl are there, but the Sea Girl is called the Python. Okay. So, yeah, it's 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 a mask, but it's like one of those cheap Halloween masks that, you know, <laughs> you have to tape the, the one side because the staple comes loose. <laughs> Or is it the mirror universe from the Star Trek universe? Oh, it could be. <laughs> and they, they all have mustaches and goatees. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really liked this story a lot and I'm glad that we included it in this season. After we finally found it. After we finally found it. Yeah. This one was hard to track down and is evidently not in the public domain in the U S nor anywhere else. But, uh, John, you were able to find it in that uh, compilation book that had Men of Iron and the Dennis Dorgan stories. Where are we headed next there, Chief? Uh, let's see. So next we got uh, a couple different fun things coming up. Uh, we're going to be reading a Dashiell Hammett story called, I think, The Brother's Keeper, according to uh, the, the list that John and and that John put together. This is an open source uh, Project Gutenberg available story, so we'll make sure we post a link for that a few days before we record, so that folks can can get a get a handle on that. Uh, and then beyond that, we're going to be doing a, a noir film called The Setup, which I'm pretty excited to watch. That yeah, me too. We do have a little bit of feedback if you guys want to talk about it. Yeah, cool. So we got an email from Clint Egger who says, uh, Josh, John, Luke, my favorite con artist movie is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Michael Caine and Steve Martin. It's a great movie, and ever since I saw it, I can't help but think of the Rupert scene when someone mentions Oklahoma. Please review the short story, Breed of Battle, The Fightinous Pair. Um, and he goes into a description of that uh, and Howard's descriptions of um, minorities, but he, he says that, uh, you know, Howard never really pulled any punches to Caucasians and uh, used limeys and squareheads and descriptions like that as well for those uh, characters. Um, he says this story is really funny and worth reading and reviewing. And Luke, you'll like this one in particular because it features Mike, the bulldog more than usual. Cool. We do have that one lined up in the future. Do we? It's part of the season. The breed of battle. Is yep. that what he said? The fight. Yeah. Yeah. Pair. Good. Good. So that is on the road of champions, Clint. We'll do that one. Nice. Would you, would you like to hear the teaser, Luke, so you know why you might be excited? Sure. Hit me. Mike the Bulldog has been dognapped, and Steve must save him. Oh. Dognapping. Dog-napping. Yeah. It's Cruella DeVille. <laughs> Luke don't cotton to dognapping. No. 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 Uh, Nomad Jim says uh, we can make fun of the Cockneys all we want, so we have Carte Blanche to uh, use Cockney accents. That's good. From an Englishman. A real life Englishman. We took a break and went with the the Germans here this time around. Yep. Let's see. So we heard from Alistair Fleming who says, I maintain that you guys should read How to Be a Kick-Ass Boxer by Champ Thomas. You're getting the hang of how to read these fight scenes and picking up bits of the beautiful art of punching your fellow man in the face but I think you'd all really enjoy the book. Champ has that same braggadocious attitude that Sailor Steve seems to have. So maybe we'll try and track that down and and talk about that before we meet again. So thanks, Alistair. Cool. And I think that might be... Oh, no. So this one is kind of a long one, so I'll I'll, uh, read parts of it. Uh, But this is from Matt Wallace. And he says, Hey, guys, relatively new listener here. I've been following you for the last couple months, catching the new episodes, but also catching up on all the Conan stuff from season one. Like a lot of your listeners, I've been reading the Conan stories and then listening to the podcast, and it has been great fun. Um, and he says, just finished Beyond the Black River. Really like the story. However, it took me a while to get into it. When I first started reading it, something just seemed a bit off. I was having a hard time picturing the Picts. I kept trying to picture them more like historical pics, kind of like Irishmen with lots of blue tattoos, and that just wasn't fitting with Howard's description. Finally, I realized that they are supposed to be more like Native Americans, 
And when I realized that, I started to think of the story as more like a Western. Once I was thinking of it as a Western, it became obvious to me that I can't believe I missed it in the first place. I mean, you could easily replace the Picts and the Aquilonians with cowboys and Indians wielding Winchesters and six shooters. Then I listened to the podcast and realized I had been on the right track. We talked about how Howard's experience growing up Texan and the local history of this area affected the story. But it was so much like a Western to me, I wondered if it actually was a Western. What I mean is, did Howard take a Western he had written and rewrite it as a Conan story? What do you think? Anyway, thanks for the great podcast. Keep up the good work, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, dude. So it's been a while since we read Beyond the Black River. Uh, we had Mark on that episode, um, and he laid that uh, local Texas lore on our heads. Um, I don't actually know if this was initially written as a draft of a Western and then sort of retrofitted into a Conan story. My thought was that it was actually always all along meant to be a Conan story. That seems to be my recollection as well, but I'm, I'm in the same boat. I can't, I can't recall any, any evidence to the contrary. I just don't seem to remember us like talking about that. I feel like right. that would have got worked into the conversation. Right. So if anybody knows, let us know. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so thanks for the email, Matt, and uh, we'll see if we can't rustle up a, an answer there. Sly. <laughs> Rustled up some grub. Nice partner. Nice partner. Any any closing notes here, y'all? Are we are we are we winding it down? I I think we're winding it down. What do you think, John? I think so too. No more gorillas to punch. No more gorillas to punch. No more densities to measure. Nope. <laughs> hey Josh. How can people find us? Well, uh, if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can email us, thecromcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at thecromcast. You can find our uh, webpage. It, it is a blogspot page. Uh, the, the address is http colon forward slash forward slash thecromcast.blogspot.com. You can call us and leave a voicemail. Uh, it'll ring a couple of times and then you'll hear some weirdo say, thanks for calling the Chromecast hotline guys. Uh, and you can leave a message. And if you do that, we'll play the message on the show. Um, and, and we'd really enjoy to hear your voice. So give us a call. That is eight, five, nine, four, two, nine Chrome. Cool. And just as a, a quick reminder, at this point, uh, the feed's big enough that a lot of our first season episodes are getting dropped off the 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 feed that we that, that you might be following with your podcatcher. If you're looking to get caught up on any of the earlier Conan stories that are absent now, uh, just go to archive. You know, we tag things pretty well. You can you can click on the Chromecast or click on season one and you can access everything there. Mm -hmm. Super easy. Yep. You can also listen to everything on the Blogspot page truth so we also tag some stuff there yep thanks cool. for listening we hope you don't run into any gorillas and if you do we hope you bare knuckle boxing at dusk and meet your true love later